But if you'll join me in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 37, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is not this, or excuse me, is, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven, uh, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty or ruling authority has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes." Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the most of heaven, in, in the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is the word of the Lord. I have a a question for you to consider right off the bat. How much of who and what you are do you control? How much of who and what you are is under your control? Did you control the century that you were born in? Did you control the family that you were born in? Did you know that the majority of your early childhood um, experiences were chosen for you by other people? That you had no choice in most of them? And those are the most formative years of your lives, according to every psychologist. You didn't know, you didn't do anything to control those things, and you didn't even control what race you would be born into. Here's a tougher question to make it hit home. What did you do to be who you are today, born as you are today, here and now, instead of being a a five-year-old boy in the family of a white supremacist leader 
who led a rally in Charlottesville last week. Pride creeps into our hearts. It's very deceptive. And it tells us a lie. It tells us, you have control. You've done something great here. Pride also does another thing. It makes you very self-absorbed. Have you ever just not been able to sleep because you can't stand the fact that they talked about you and they said some things that disrespected you and you just can't get over it? That's pride. Have you ever lacked sympathy for those who have a different opinion than you do? That's pride. What about those who have different values and beliefs than you? Do you have any type of sympathy towards them at all? When we don't, it's because we're struggling with pride. Have you ever had your feelings hurt? That's a source of pride. We are a very sensitive people, and we are a very prideful people. Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is the king, and he was the greatest, possibly the greatest king ever. He ruled basically everything, didn't have a, a viable threat to his kingdom. He basically had the world at his disposal. Whatever he wanted to do, he could do. He built a city that was named Babylon that was the greatest city in the world on a much larger scale than New York could even think of being today. He wasn't just a a leader who sent people out to fight for him to do the bidding for him, but he was actually known for going out and being in the battle on the front lines with his people. He accomplished great things uh, that many other people will never even dream of accomplishing. But the last years of his life proved that money and power didn't give him the peace and security that we all crave, that we're all longing for. In fact, he started having these dreams. Multiple times he had dreams, and they frightened him. We read earlier in chapter 4 that he couldn't even sleep because he was so scared. They disturbed him, and if you ever think that, you know, if I just had enough money, it would solve all my problems. Well, Nebuchadnezzar proves that that does not work. It can't solve all the problems. It can certainly solve your credit card debt problem, but it can't solve the problem of needing that peace that only God can give. Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to come in and to interpret a dream for him. Daniel had come over with, some, uh, with people that were taken captive, uh, exiles, and he was shown favor, rose his way up through the ranks in the, in the kingdom, and he was known uh, for interpreting dream. It was a gift that God had given him. And he interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. See, I told you I'd do it once or twice. Uh, he interprets the dream for him, and when Daniel first hears the dream, you can read earlier as well, that he was frightened to where he, he turned pale because he, he didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar this. But he informs Nebuchadnezzar, said, look, there's coming a day when God's about to cut you down. The tree you saw in the, um, in the vision, that's you, king, and God's going to cut you down like a tree. Your power is going to be taken away from you. And you're going to be like an animal eating grass in the field. Uh, We know likely what happened to Nebuchadnezzar was probably a stroke of sorts. Uh, Some type of mental and emotional issue caused him to, you know, kind of lose it for a period of time. Uh, You noticed in the translation I used it said for seven periods of time. We're not sure if that's seven months or seven seasons or whatever, it just, so that's why it's translated seven periods of time. I'm not sure exactly how long he was like that. But the Lord used that suffering that he went through 
to teach him the dangerous perils and the evil of pride. I don't think it's fair or accurate to say that God punished him because he was prideful and sent him out that way. I believe it's more accurate to conclude that God used this as the, we- the method, the way, the only way that God could teach him and to, save, to, be save him, to save him from the pride in his life. As I mentioned earlier, pride is the, the root of the vices. Pope Gregory I listed pride as the, the root of all vices instead of just a member among the seven deadly sins. Several hundred years later, uh, Aquinas affirmed that. Uh, Aquinas made it a change to the, the list, and he took sadness out and replaced it with sloth. And so that's the list that most people use today, but as I, I'll say it again, in case people are listening online for the first time, but there are different lists that you'll find in, uh, about which the deadly sins are on the list. And so what we're looking at is saying there are the seven deadly sins, and then pride is not on the seven, but it's the root of all of them. For example, envy. Pride leads you to envy because you feel like you deserve something that others have more than they deserve it. Pride leads you to vainglory because you want others to recognize your beauty and your worth. Pride leads you to sloth because you don't want to have to do the labor for your spiritual growth. Pride leads to greed because you want it all for yourself. Pride leads to anger because you don't want to wait for God to take care of it. You'd rather trust yourself and your ability to take action. Pride leads to gluttony because you want it all and you want it all right now. Pride leads to lust because you think those people were made for your sexual pleasure. Pride isn't just on the list of vices, but it's the vice that feeds the other. It fuels them, and it causes them to run rampant in your lives. Pride caused King Nebuchadnezzar to become fearful and confused. The most powerful man on earth, fearful and confused. His life fell apart. And it makes me wonder. I wonder if our minds have similarities to his. I wonder if we're in some states of confusion as well. I wonder if some of our lives may be falling apart right now. I wonder if pride may cause our lives to fall apart in the future. So as a disclaimer before we go further, if you're saying, I don't suffer from spiritual pride, then you just failed the first litmus test of diagnosing spiritual pride. You're guilty of it. On the other side of it, just because you say, you know, I I suffer from pride, doesn't mean that you're going to be cured from it just because you say that. And it certainly doesn't mean that you know how you're struggling with it it and where you're struggling with it. Pride is deceptive. You may think you know what it is or where you struggle with it, but I imagine the more you dig into the depths of what pride is, you'll see it rearing its ugly head in other places. There is a good sense of pride. Pride is not always a bad word. Uh, We use the word pride to describe some good things. For example, you and I are not an accident. My father says I was, but my mother says I was a pleasant surprise. But you are not an accident. I don't care how you were brought into this world. God formed you. God shaped you. You are here because God wants you here. You're not an accident. You 
are created by God with dignity. You were created by God because He loved you. And He continues to love you. Understanding these things will give us a confidence as we become God's children through faith in Christ. It gives us a kind of pride that causes us to stand up when we're mistreated or abused. No, I won't deal with this. It causes us to stand up for others who are are oppressed and abused. There is dignity in being human. But that dignity is not something that we've earned. It's something God has chosen to give us. It's something God has given us. So bad pride looks like this. Bad pride says, bad pride says, look at what I did. Bad pride says, I deserve this. That's what bad pride is. And we're going to look at three words today to remind us that there's only one God and it's not any of us. Three words. And we'll start with number one. The first word is artist. Artist. God is the artist and we are his artwork. Pride causes us to claim authority over a work that we didn't do. We look at what God has done, just like Nebuchadnezzar, and we say, look at what I have done. Look at what I have built. And this aspect of pride is tricky too. It's not always easy to diagnose. And so let's look in Daniel chapter 4 and revisit Nebuchadnezzar here in verse 29. So he had the dream, and Daniel interprets uh, interprets, interprets the dream for him. And then 12 months pass after the interpretation of the dream was given to him. And this is where we pick up. So 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace in ba- of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the words... While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. Ruling authority is no longer yours. The king claimed to be the author of his kingdom. I've done, I've built for my glory. He claimed credit for doing all the work. He said to others, look at my glory. But it was... God's glory. He said, look at my artwork, but God is saying it's his artwork. I have a picture of artwork right here uh, that's going to pop on the screen. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Ella, my second daughter, um, not in love, but just in birth order. Um, <laughs> they're all number one in love. So uh, she drew this, and I, uh, and I thought, how, first of all, how beautiful it is. How amazing it is, and obviously she got that talent from me, um, or obviously not. But I have a question. She spent time and effort, every little detail over this. What if I came up with this same painting, or this drawing, and I started to take an authoritative claim over it? I do. I, look at what I did. Look at what I drew. I drew this. No, 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 I, not Ella. I drew this. How would you feel? You'd be frustrated, Right? You'd be like, dude, that's not right. That's not yours. She drew it. That's what she did. Who are you to take credit over this? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is doing the very same thing that is frustrating us 
to think about me stealing my daughter's artwork. Nebuchadnezzar is looking at God's ark and he's saying, look at what I have done. What he's doing is plagiarizing God's work. And that's what you and I do when we take credit for something that God has done. We don't give him his just due. We plagiarize it. We steal it. And that's exactly what you and I do when we claim authority over our lives. The entirety of our lives. We didn't choose where we'd be born, when we'd be born, who'd we be born to. None of those things. None of those things we've chosen. But somehow, pride has come in and said, this life is all about you. You're the authority. You decide what's right and wrong. You make the claim. You say, look at what you have done. When we claim to have done the work that God has done, we fail to realize that it's God who is the artist and not us. The second word is deserve. Deserve. Pride causes us to feel like we are owed something. This is where we must expose the the illusion of control that I talked about earlier. We don't control most things in our life. We don't control much about uh, our own lives even now. There are a lot of things happening that we are not in control of. Here's another acid test. If you suffer from pride, or excuse me, you suffer from pride if... If you think the world right now is worse than we deserve. If you look out on the world and say, this world is so bad, it's worse than we deserve. You're suffering from pride. If you think that the riots, the crime, the racial injustice is something we don't deserve, then pride is blinding you to the gospel truth. If that statement makes you angry, then pride is welling within you right now. And if you stop listening because you feel angry at what I just said, you're going to miss how God can free you from this vice of pride. I'm not suggesting in any way that God approves of people's sins. God is not a fan of murder and evil acts, however form they take. I am saying that there is a lie that pride preaches to our hearts, and it says this, you deserve better. You don't deserve this. Pride puts you in the role of God. And at some point, you are going to be crushed by the weight of that role. And worse still, you're going to crush other people along your path to destruction. Nebuchadnezzar saw the truth that God decides what is and isn't good. Nebuchadnezzar saw that it is God that decides who gets this and who doesn't. Who gets this, who gets that. It is God who decides that. It is God who decides what we deserve. Look with me again in uh, verse 34 of the same chapter in Daniel. But at the end of that period, remember the seven uh, uh, seasons or uh, what, do, what do they call it? Anyway, the seven timed units, whatever they were. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I, after this horrible thing that he went through, blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
What he's saying is including himself. All of us people, we're nothing. But he, God, does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, God did not glory in the suffering of Nebuchadnezzar. But that is what had to happen in order for the king to be delivered from his damning pride. I have another artwork to show you. Look at this one. Isn't that good? Ella drew that one too, right? That's uh, the dark night, I presume. And uh, this one will be harder for me to take a, a claim over because she has her name etched right there, so I'd have to do some cropping if I tried to steal that one. But for this one, I want to point out that Ella spent time drawing this, fashioning every little detail. All the choices were made by her for this. This is the artwork. It would be absurd for us to to go to the original painting, this is just a picture of it, and to imagine that this drawing is making claims that deserves certain things in its life. In its life. It did nothing to be drawn. Everything was done for it. Everything was given to it. The artist owns everything about it. Ella is the one who determines what will and will not be done with that painting or that drawing. The very existence of that drawing currently depends upon the artist, not the artwork. She determines what she will and will not do with that, uh, that drawing. She has the authority over it. It doesn't deserve anything. This is exactly the same with us. Nothing that you have done, uh, excuse me, nothing that you have has come to you apart from God. God is actively working in your lives. He created you. He's the one that's given you family. He's given you a job, hopefully. Or another one new soon, right? Some of you? Yeah. He's given you money. And He has determined some will have more. Some will have less. Some have better of this. Some have better of that. But if you think that you're still in charge of your life, then you're still the Lord of your heart. If you're saying things like, you know, I'll consider this God stuff and decide for myself if it works for me. I'll decide which parts of my life I'll allow God into. Then listen very carefully. Stop fooling yourself by saying that all good things come from God because that's not what you're doing. You are not acknowledging the fact that all good things come from God if you are the determining factor on what will and will not be influenced by Him. Pride. Some people think tithing, 10%, is unreasonable. To give away that much money is foolish. But where do you think the 100% that you have comes from? But I work hard for the money. So hard for the money. I work hard for the money. So you better treat her right. Sure, you work hard. New York, I think, has exposed the fact that there is a work ethic among most people here that is superior to many places I've seen before. People really do work hard here. I I believe that. But who do you think gave you that talent that you have? Who gave you that skill? Who's the one that ultimately gave you that job? Do you think that you are independent from God? 
Some of you still won't acknowledge God when it comes to your body. You stake a claim over it. This is my body. I'll do with it what I please. The same goes for your words and your social media and your mind. If you say, I'll only trust God for what I think is best for me, and I won't let him influence these areas of my lives, then what you're doing is you're taking all power for God and you're trying to put him underneath your lordship. The truth is, we don't deserve anything good from God. We just actually sang it. The song was changed before service. But it's, I don't deserve your love. We don't deserve anything good from God. On our own, we are a prideful, ungrateful group. But God, fortunately, didn't give Nebuchadnezzar what he deserved, nor did he give us what we deserve. What we deserve from God is judgment. Because what we've done is plagiarized his work. We've taken credit for our lives, which is his artwork. We are wrong. We have offended our creator. And just like it would be wrong and I would need to be punished for stealing my daughter's artwork and claiming authority over it, we deserve to be punished. But this is why we preach good news. That's the bad news. Pride condemns us. But then there's good news, which leads us to word number three. So we have artist. God is the artist. Deserve. What is it that we really do deserve in life? And then the fourth, the third one is the virtue that is opposite of pride. The virtue of humility. So God's the artist. He decides what we deserved or what we deserve. And, and when we submit to him, we're well on our way to being healed from the evil vice of pride. But how do we find healing from this vice? And here's the answer. We find healing only through God. He has to be the one to heal us. You can't heal yourself from pride, nor can I. It has to be something God does. And here's how he does it. You need to understand these two things. I got one finger here and two fingers there. I don't know what I'm doing here, but you got to know these two things, okay? Number one, you only deserve judgment from God. And number two, you are the object of God's mercy and love. You need to know both of those things. You can't just learn one. You only deserve you know, judgment from God because you're going to be a defeated, miserable person who's never going to walk in victory. And you can't realize over here that, that we are the objects of God's mercy and love because now you're going to be arrogant. You're going to think, I deserve all these things. You're going to struggle. You have to know both of these things in order to walk with humility. I don't deserve anything but God's judgment. But God loves me and has made me the object of the greatest act of mercy ever known to man. In Nebuchadnezzar, he said, remember I pointed it out earlier, he said all the inhabitants of earth are nothing. He was including himself. He's like, we don't, who are we? I mean, God is a, the most high. That's the way he's referred to, the most high God. And we're nothing. But while we don't deserve anything good from God, you're his artwork. He's created you just like the artist cares for their masterpieces. The Lord gives even greater care for you, his masterpiece. He doesn't owe you anything, but he has chosen to give you everything. When good things happen, when you have humility, 
You're going to be grateful and you're going to receive it. Thank you, God, for this. But if you're struggling with pride, you're going to say, it's about time. (laughs) I deserve that. I should have had this a year ago. But when bad things happen and you're walking with humility, you're going to look up to the Lord and you're going to say, even though the world around me is crumbling, all of you and everything you do is good. And I choose to worship you. Or you can pridefully say, like Nebuchadnezzar did in the beginning, I don't deserve this. Or you can say with Nebuchadnezzar at the end, and you can allow those circumstances to humble you before God, which is what happened. This is how uh, Nebuchadnezzar kind of drops the mic and leaves the story of uh, Daniel here at the end. This is how it goes out in uh, the last two verses of that chapter. He says, At that time, my reason returned to me, and, and my majesty, all the things, the splendor, were restored to me. God gave me these things back for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out. So when he came back, people welcomed him back. And instead of like, you were gone, you went crazy, they welcomed him back. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, my ruling authority, and surpassing greatness was added to me. God gave me even more. And then the last verse, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise, exalt, and I honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true, and all his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He even humbled the great King Nebuchadnezzar. God is really, listen, he is really good at being God. He's really good at it. We're not good at being God. We cannot humble those people who walk in pride. It's tempting though, right? Do you know when you see really prideful people and you just just can't stand them, you know, because you want to just put them in their place? Do Do you know the irony of that is that you're really, really struggling with pride in that moment? No, 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 no. What they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, you're, you're, you know, you're, what you're doing is not. Okay. We're prideful. Prideful is sneaky. I mean, this could be an entire year of sermon series with all the stuff I've learned this week, and I'm having to really narrow it down uh, just for tonight's time purposes, but there's so many ways pride is uh, creeping into our hearts. But we can't humble those who walk in pride, but God is able to do that. So what's it going to take for you to live in humility? What will it take to break you free from the bondage of pride? Pride leads to destruction. I mentioned that earlier. Like Nebuchadnezzar, you need someone to expose your pride. He had a prophet named Daniel to do that for him. And we all need someone like Daniel to show us that there's only one God. And it's not you. He's the artist. There's only one God, and he determines what we deserve. And this only one God has said, judgment is coming. You're that tree, and you're about to get chopped down, and all your power is going to be gone. And we can take that same principle to us. One day our kingdom will come to an end. This body will stop working, and we'll be, metaphorically speaking, Chopped down. And judgment awaits us. 
But listen to Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, because we see a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament pointing to the Messiah. It says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Go back to the previous verse, verse 14. You see that part, the second sentence that goes into the third? His appearance was marred more than any man. This is pointing to Jesus on the cross. He was so marred that it was almost difficult. It was difficult to distinguish his humanity. He was so beaten, so bruised, so bloodied. He was marred more than any man, and he was facing that judgment, facing, facing that for you and for me. That's what he endured. See, we claimed to be worthy of glory when all we did was take credit for what God had done. But Jesus came with all the splendor and glory of God and took the judgment that we deserved so that we could receive life instead of death and destruction. So that judgment that's coming, Jesus took it for us. There's only one God. He has created you as His masterpiece. He doesn't owe you anything. But this God has chosen to make you the object of the greatest act of mercy and love this world has ever known. Praise be to our Lord Jesus. Today I am grateful that there is only one God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are... struggling as, uh, as individuals, as a church, as a community, as a city, as a nation, as a world. We are struggling against a force and a vice that is purely evil called pride. And Lord, we need your help. And I pray that you would expose pride for what it is, and then you would lead us to, to be the most virtuous of people as we walk with the humility that you give to us when we recognize you as the only true sovereign, the only true ruling, ruling authority, and we acknowledge that the only thing we deserve from you is punishment and judgment, and the only thing, um, oh, and, and we are also at the same time the objects of your love and your mercy. May those two things bind us together. May we exalt you as the one and only true God. In Jesus' name, amen.